welcome to the History of the Klondike Gold Rush podcast. I'm Pascal Halliday. And I'm Keith Halliday. Last episode, we told you about the mayhem that ensued in the Klondike after Lion George Carmack and Cogooks poured out the gold they'd found in Rabbit Creek on a saloon counter in 40 Mile. Today, we'll tell you about what happened when news of that find got to the outside world. Or, more precisely, on June 16th in 1897, when the Alaska Commercial Company steamship SS Excelsior docked near Market Street in San Francisco, and off came a bunch of Klondike miners carrying $750,000 of gold dust. That's over $20 million in today's money. News spread fast, flashing instantly over the telegraph to the East Coast. And in case some people had the impression that it was a one-off thing, the next day, the SS Portland steamed into Seattle Harbor, carrying around 60 miners and $800,000 of gold. That averages to over $13,000 each, a sum the average American worker at the time would take over 25 years to earn. One fellow even had $130,000 of gold, which would take the average worker almost 300 years to earn. Coming in the middle of the painful economic depression we described in episode one, the news sparked a mania. A newspaper report from Seattle described it this way, quote, The news that the Telegraph is bringing the past few days of the wonderful things of the Klondike in the land of the midnight sun has opened the floodgates, and a stream of humanity is pouring through Seattle and onto the golden mecca of the north. It is a crowd at once strange, weird, and picturesque. Some say it eclipses anything in the days of 49, unquote. By 49, they're referring to the famous California gold rush. The funny thing about all this is that we're talking about July 1897. As we told you in an earlier episode, the discovery of gold on Bonanza Creek was made in August 1896, 11 months earlier. But with winter freeze-up, travel was difficult. Even if a few people did make it from the Klondike to civilization over that winter, their stories didn't make it into the papers. So the news of what Alan Wright called the, quote, richest concentration of placer gold that the world has ever known, unquote, came as a tremendous, stupefying, amazing surprise to the lower 48 and the whole world. Never mind that all the miners within hundreds of miles of the discovery, and Wright estimates that there were more than a thousand in the region by this point, had already got to Bonanza Creek and staked it out completely. Nevertheless, thousands and thousands of people heard about the gold on the Excelsior and Portland and decided they needed to go right now. And we mean right now. The same Seattle newspaper report said that the SS Portland, quote, sails for Alaska tomorrow at noon. She will carry every passenger and every pound of cargo that she has the ability to transport, unquote. The Portland passenger list included an ex-governor and a general. 1,500 people were already booked on the Portland and seven other steamers. Many ships were taken off of other runs to make special trips to Alaska. The Excelsior was also booked to capacity for its return trip north and had to turn away 10 times more people who wanted tickets than it could possibly carry. Tappan Adney, the New York journalist who chronicled the rush, is worth quoting at length. Quote, Every class in the community was affected. Companies were formed and stock offered to the public merely on the strength of starting for the Klondike. Men threw up good positions in banks and under the government. Others, with homes and families, mortgaged their property and started, while those who could not command the $1 to $2,000 considered as the very least necessary to success were grub-staked by friends equally affected by the excitement, but unable to go in person, unquote. 
There are a few reasons why the Klondike Gold Rush got so big so fast. We've already talked about how the ongoing effects of the economic crisis of 1893 had lots of people looking for new opportunities. Then there's the transcontinental railways and telegraph systems that made it much easier for news and people to move long distances than had been the case during, say, the Californian gold rush just 50 years earlier in 1849. But there are two other big factors that made the Klondike gold rush special. Newspapers and mass marketing, led by the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. By the 1890s, newspapers had grown into enormously popular and influential businesses. Major cities often had several, and the competition was fierce. It was the age of campaigns, muckraking, and sensationalism. Across North America, newspapers fanned the Klondike frenzy, keen to sell more copies. Adney himself talks about this, saying, quote, The Seattle papers, equally alive to the interests of their own city, as the outfitting point for Alaska, plunged into the story with sensational fury. If the stories of wonderful fortune needed corroboration, there were nuggets and stacks of shining gold displayed in windows of shops and hotels, unquote. We've got a link on our website to materials about this, klondikegoldrush.org. It includes a snapshot of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer from July 17, 1897. The headline is simply, Gold, 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 and the subheadline screams in all capitals, quote, Stacks of Yellow Metal, unquote. Here's another example of news coverage, quote, the richest strike has been made by a boy 21 years old named George Hornblower of Indianapolis. In the heart of a barren waste known as Boulder Field, he found a nugget for which the transportation company gave him $5,700. He located his claim at the find and in four months had taken out more than $1 million. Unquote. Stacked on top of breathless news coverage was a remarkably innovative and effective mass marketing campaign invented and launched by Erastus Brainerd of the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. Brainerd was an experienced newspaper editor himself and knew how the business worked. Originally born in Connecticut and then educated at Harvard, Brainerd had experience as a promoter in Europe for a traveling showman. After that, he held a series of editor jobs at papers in New York, Philadelphia, and Seattle. By 1897, he was the head of the newly established Bureau of Information for the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. He was confident, well-organized, connected deeply to newspaper editors around the U.S., and had a flair for the kind of writing that was popular at the time, even if it seems a bit over the top to modern ears. He was the perfect man for the job, which was to put the relatively young city of Seattle on the map and encourage as many people as possible to go to the goldfields and buy their outfits in Seattle. National Park Service historians have published an entertaining sketch of Brainerd's efforts to boost Seattle. We'll share some of the details from that right now. By the way, if you're ever in Seattle, we highly recommend visiting the National Park Service Klondike Goldrush Museum near Pioneer Square. It's very well done. A highlight is their Wheel of Fortune, which you spin to see what would have happened to you if you went on the stampede. Spoiler alert, most of the spaces on the wheel are not Strike It Rich. So, at first... Seattle businessmen were worried to learn that others didn't see Seattle as the best route to the Klondike. Sure, if someone in the lower 48 asked the Great Northern Railway for passage to Alaska, they would sell you a ticket via Seattle. But Southern Pacific directed passengers to San Francisco and Canadian Pacific to Vancouver. Brainerd and the Seattle Chamber of Commerce came up with a plan to not only promote Seattle, but also counterattack the efforts of other cities. Big publicity campaigns were relatively new. But Brainerd had found his calling. 
He organized Seattle businesses to pay into a fund. In return, they got promoted and received lists of potential customers. The money was used for a national advertising campaign that positioned Seattle as the obvious route to the gold fields. The first step was for Brainerd to start writing pamphlets, editorials, and advertising copy. In his classic style of boosterism, of course. Here's a few examples. Seattle is, quote, Queen City of the Northwest. Or, quote, Everybody in the East says Seattle is an extraordinary place. Or, quote, Seattle is a commercial city and is to the Pacific Northwest as New York is to the Atlantic coast, unquote. That last one's a bit of a stretch, given that Seattle only had about 70,000 inhabitants at the time. One of Brainerd's ads urged newspaper readers to, quote, look at your map. And if you didn't happen to have a map handy, the ads included one. It showed the U.S. and Canadian rail lines, all drawn to show how they connected to Seattle, with the title, quote, Seattle the Gateway, All Great Rail Lines Lead to Seattle. Somehow, Erastus Brainerd forgot to put dots on the map for San Francisco and Vancouver, Seattle's main competitors. We've posted a link on the episode webpage at klondikegoldrush.org. Brainerd also got the Seattle Post-Intelligencer to do a special Klondike edition, packed with information on the gold fields, which route to take, what you needed to buy for your outfit, and where you should buy it. The answer to every question was, of course, Seattle. Brainerd heavily promoted the edition, encouraging Seattleites to send copies to their friends and relatives out east. The Post-Intelligencer printed 212,000 copies, the biggest print run ever west of Chicago at that point. Brainerd sent thousands of copies to postmasters around the U.S., newspaper editors, librarians, mayors, city council members, and so on. He also gave thousands to the railways to give to their passengers. Brainerd was a personal goldmine of marketing schemes. One included sending $6,000 of Klondike gold as a railway exhibit traveling across the country. Another tactic was asking Seattleites who came into contact with lots of other people, such as employers, ministers, or teachers, to ask their contacts to write letters to out-of-town friends and families boosting the city. He offered brochures and free postage to Seattleites who would write such letters. Yet another stratagem was to write information brochures that looked like they were from an official government agency. He even convinced Washington's Secretary of State to sign one. A number of these became popular in Europe and were reprinted there. He even sent copies with gifts to the heads of state of European nations, when Germany's Kaiser Wilhelm II refused to open his, fearing it was a bomb, Brainerd wasn't embarrassed. He used the incident for more publicity. One of his wiliest tricks was the fake survey. He sent surveys to every governor and mayor in the U.S., purportedly for planning purposes. The survey asked for information on the number of potential gold seekers and how many were coming to Seattle. Many mayors circulated them or gave them to the local paper, where they served to further boost Seattle's profile. Brainerd also used a clipping service to track news stories hostile to Seattle. He reacted quickly, sending facts or demanding retractions. Not everyone bought the hype, of course. Omaha, Nebraska, for example, seemed to be immune. They replied to Brainerd's letter with some boosterism of their own. Quote, Klondike fever has not reached us, nor is it likely to do so. This species of disease is apt to strike cities where businesses stagnated and people have lost their faith in the return of prosperity. In Omaha, however, prosperity is no longer a prophecy, but a grand reality. So there, Erastus Brainerd. But the publicity convinced many to join the stampede. Join us next episode, where we're going to follow one gold seeker as he decides to leave his fancy New York lifestyle and head for the Klondike, wherever that is.
If you like this episode, please tell a friend and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you really like the episode, please go to our website, which also has links and maps about this episode, and make a donation. That's klondikegoldrush.org. Even a few bucks helps cover the costs of equipment and hosting. We didn't do this podcast to get rich, but, as an old miner might say, it would be nice to make enough to get our grub stake back.